Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the sixth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Carpe Diem, Seize the Day. We have a great show today. Most of our guests this season have been adult survivors of congenital heart defects. Today, we're featuring a mother, but not any mother. We're featuring a mother who works in a healthcare profession. Today's show is Seizing the Day with Jessica Gutierrez Rodriguez. Jessica Gutierrez Rodriguez is the proud mother to Marianne, a seven-year-old born with hypoplastic right heart syndrome, pulmonary valve stenosis, and a ventricular septal defect. Marianne has had a Glenn shunt and a Fontan procedure. Jessica never realized that her personal experiences with her daughter would have such a profound impact on her career in healthcare. She is currently the Director of Clinical Support Services at the Texas Center for Infectious Disease and previously worked at the San Antonio State Hospital. Surviving Mary Ann's two open-heart surgeries allowed Jessica to understand patients better, especially the importance of making them feel like they are the only ones that exist. Jessica is recently the recipient of the Founders Award for Generative Space, which is a concept that is used in the design of healthcare facilities and environments. She also sits on two national boards, including the Healthcare Facilities Symposium, Advisory Board, and the Caritas Advisory Board. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Jessica. Thank you so much, Anna, for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. And before we get into any of the questions or anything, congratulations on your award. I went and looked it up on the internet because I had never heard of it before, but this is the up and coming thing. I mean, this is a state of the art award, isn't it? Yes, yes, thank you. It's quite a feather in your cap, Jessica, and I'm very honored that you've decided to come on the show today. Like you, I have a kid with a complex congenital heart defect. I know what carpe diem means to me, but I want to know, what does carpe diem mean to you considering the severity of Marianne's heart defect? Basically, what it means is that I'm grateful for each day that she is here with us. When we first found out about Marianne's multiple heart defects, I was only 20 weeks pregnant. I was told by three separate doctors that her chances of living were very slim and that it was not worth the emotional roller coaster. I think the most shocking response was from a doctor that asked me persistently if I wanted to abort her. And I was 
absolutely stunned by the doctor's approach as I felt that I was not being allowed a chance to research the diagnosis and by making such a decision I wouldn't be giving her a chance at life and giving her her own chance to seize the day. Marianne had all the odds against her. Not only was she my first pregnancy, but I developed superimposed preeclampsia right at the beginning of the third trimester in which I eventually ended up on bed rest at the hospital to only deliver emergency C-section at 30 weeks. So you can imagine a child with hypoplastic right heart, doctors are telling you all throughout the pregnancy, the best thing you can do is keep her in you as long as you can. And it was totally out of my control. She ended up being born at two pounds, 13 ounces on Father's Day, 2008. She then spent three months in the NICU and we spent every single day with her praying as we watched her grow. We didn't know how she was going to do because of the heart complications, but we were told by the NICU doctors that she had the right balance of red and blue bloods at the time. So we cherished each day with her in the hospital. Eventually, we brought her home when she was three months old. Then at six months old, her O2 sats began to drop to the 60s, and we took her back to Children's Hospital of San Antonio for an evaluation at which time the Glenn shunt was proposed. She was able to skip the first of the three, the Norwood shunt, and the Glenn shunt was performed December 2008. So after 10 days in the hospital, we were able to bring her home in time for Christmas. For the next three years after that, we enjoyed watching her grow, even though she had many limitations, many missed milestones, many missed opportunities that other children her age have. And we kept her sheltered and didn't attend any mass gatherings or events to prevent her from getting ill because we knew that it would affect her heart. So I would say the hardest part about seizing the day between the time she had the Glen shunt to the time she had the Fontan procedure in 2012 was the anxiety and anticipation of knowing it was coming, but we had no choice. So now how we got to the Fontan is another story for probably another show, but that's her story as far as from 2008 to 2012 when she had the Fontan. It's harrowing. To be told that your child could die at any time, you feel you have to live a sheltered life because Mm -hmm. the exposure to germs could actually be life-threatening. Exactly, exactly. And right before the surgery, we knew that she had to be well enough to have the Fontan, and if she wasn't, they would have to postpone it, which then meant we would miss the time frame that the Fontan would still work because, as we all know, as heart mothers, there's a window in which you do the Fontan before you miss it. It sounds to me, though, that despite the fact that you were given such dismal odds and that she was born early with a preemie and spent so much time in the hospital, it sounds like her first year she spent an awful lot of time in the hospital. It sounds to me like you and your husband have made a real effort to seize the day, and I think that's to be commended because it would be easy to despair. It is, it is, and being thankful for the time that she's been given and that she proved many of the doctors wrong. I really don't know what it was or why 
I had to go through that experience of negativity after negativity after negativity, three different doctors here in San Antonio. And by the time I found the right medical team, I was at the end of the second trimester. I felt like a black sheep. I was unwanted. Nobody wanted the liability. Nobody wanted to take the risk. It was just an amazing experience in that sense, and it actually brought me and my husband closer. I've heard other stories where it, it actually did the opposite, but for me and Michael, it really brought us closer together. And the other part is that we also have a second child who is a surprise, and I was pregnant with Angelica after Marianne had the Glen shunt, and I was considered high risk. I had to go through the high risk process of getting checked and getting all the organs checked. They were afraid Angelica, who is our second child, would have a heart defect, but Angelica was born perfectly healthy. So both of my girls are only 14 months apart, and Angelica has been a very big blessing to Marianne. She's motivated her. She's helped her in whatever she needs help with. They're like two peas in a pod, and <laughs> everywhere we take them. I get asked, are they twins? I said, no. I had them back to back. And at the time, it just seemed so stressful. And I told myself, I said, I just can't believe this is happening. But little did I know that that was part of the plan was for Angelica to be here to provide her sister the support she needed. It's amazing to me how siblings can be that extra support that you wouldn't even imagine. The bonds between two siblings is very important anyway. And you, like me, had same-sex children, and I think they can draw an even closer bond in some ways. Yes. I think it's just beautiful to see how those siblings can help each other. Well, Jessica, do you think that your choice of career working in a medical environment gives you a different perspective on the value of life, considering the importance of people continuing to have a good quality of life, even when they're in the hospital for a long time, like you and Marianne were? Well, I have to say, when I started working in healthcare in 2004, I never knew exactly why or how I ended up in healthcare, but I knew it had to be part of God's plan. So when I tell people my background, my background actually includes a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering and a Master of Science in Management of Technology, I always get asked, wow, how did you end up in healthcare with that? So at the time, I was just grateful to have a job. And my husband and I married in 2007 and then, of course, had Marianne, our first child, in 2008. Even though we had been in and out of hospital since 2008, it wasn't until 2012 when I started to make the connection between my personal life experiences in healthcare and my professional career. So Marianne had the Fontan done at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, Texas in March 2012. We stayed there for four weeks as she struggled with complications, including pleural effusions, chylothorax, and then eventually ended up catching the flu. When you think about the long stays in hospitals that we have with our kids, there's so many disciplines that are involved. You have not just cardiology, you have the surgical team, the physician assistant, physical therapy, child life chaplaincy, food service, housekeeping, you name it. We even ended up talking with patient advocacy after an unfortunate experience we had with a floor cardiologist. It took that personal journey to realize that it just doesn't take a team but a village to provide good patient care. The people we met were amazing, and we have made some lifelong friends along the way that we still keep in touch with and visit when we go back for checkups. 
as you probably know, Anna, research has also shown that having a good patient experience can produce faster healing times. So mm -hmm. four weeks was long enough for me to face a reality I had never seen. And at my place of employment at the Texas Center for Infectious Disease, we have patients that stay for an average of two years. So if four weeks was long enough for us, I can't even imagine two years. When you think about, again, the length of stay, a length of stay this long can change your life for the better or for mm -hmm. the worse. Mm -hmm. It definitely can. It's definitely a life-changing experience for you. I don't know how much Marianne will remember. Alex didn't remember his first two surgeries because he had them both before he was a year old, but he had to have a fontan revision. And he was old enough then as a teenager that that is now a new baseline. Now he's 21. <laughs> but if he goes mm -hmm. through something difficult, he'll say, well, at least it's not open heart surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. It really has changed his life. And like your daughter, he suffered from complications. We were there 26 days, which is almost four weeks. And it feels like forever. You feel like you're never going to get out. I can't imagine being in for two years. And yet we met some people at the hospital who had been back repeatedly and for long stretches of time, like what you're saying. So I think that what you're doing with the generative design is just so important because it takes the sterile, frightening hospital environment and turns it into a livable environment where you're not constantly afraid. When you feel that you're in a happier place, you heal faster. Exactly. Fortunately for Marianne, she was three when she had the Fontaine. She remembers the happy time. She remembers riding oh. in the red wagon. Mm -hmm. Little does she know that we were told twice we didn't know if she was going to make it or if the Fontaine was actually going to work and be effective and do what it was meant to do. She had severe hypoplastic right heart where they literally had to sew off the pulmonary valve because it was serving no purpose. It was so narrow that it basically did nothing. So I believe one of the pictures I sent you, Anna, is a picture of her new heart. So one of the residents at Texas Children's drew what her new heart looks like. And when you think about the complexity of it, we're just very mm -hmm. fortunate to live in today's times where we have the resources to save our children. Absolutely. Okay, that's a real positive note for us to take a quick commercial break. But don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we're going to talk with Jessica about the biggest challenge that she faces working with two national healthcare facility and environment national boards when we come back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is Seizing the Day with Jessica Gutierrez-Rodriguez, and Jessica is a heart mom to Mary Ann, a seven-year-old hypoplastic right heart syndrome survivor. And Jessica just finished telling us what Seize the Day means to her and 
the incredible journey that she has gone on with Mary Ann from finding out in utero and being given dismal prognoses and being encouraged to abort all the way to her winning a generative design award because of her experiences with Mary Ann. I mean, when you look, Jessica, at the expanse of time that you've been through, it's really a fairly short period of time. And where you started and where you are now, it's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? It is. It really is. Seven years doesn't seem like that much time. But really, I guess it's closer to eight since you found out when you were pregnant. But to go from probably not even knowing a whole lot about children having congenital heart defects, because it doesn't sound like this is something that runs in your family, to having no. a child, going through multiple surgeries, extended hospital stays, and then working with hospitals to design them to be more patient-friendly. Would you ever have guessed that you would have gone on a journey like this? No, no. And it's a whole other story as to how I'm involved with the Healthcare Facility Symposium and with the Caritas Project now. And everything started in 2012. So we had just had Marianne's surgery in March of 2012. In June of 2012, when I finally went back to work, I received a brochure in the mail from the Healthcare Facility Symposium and Expo. And on the front cover was a picture of the new Chicago Children's Hospital, which used to formerly be the Memorial Children's Hospital. And the picture was just breathtaking. And the reason it caught my attention was prior to Marianne going to Texas Children's, I had just researched, I don't know how many hospitals to make sure that we were taking her to the absolute best facility where they could treat her HRHS and help her. And so when I opened the brochure, I took a look at some of the programs that were being offered. And at the time, I was working at the San Antonio State Hospital. So San Antonio State Hospital provides inpatient psychiatric services to 55 surrounding counties. And some of the sessions being offered at the healthcare facility symposium had to do with behavioral health care. So I asked my boss at the time, do you think upper management would support me attending this conference. And he said, sure, let's submit it and give it a shot. And it got approved and it's just evolved from there. From the first year attending the conference to then being asked to sit on the board in 2013. And now I'm involved in the Caritas Project Advisory Board and also another group called Leading by Design, where we focus on the generative space concept. But it's not just looking at how generative space is applied in our field of work, but also how we can use it for our own personal lives. Really? How is it that you would use that information in your personal lives? First of all, generative space is looking at not just the physical environment, but looking at the social environment as well. And so to be generative means to look at the time and the experiences that we have with one another and looking at not just, again, the physical aspect of something, but looking at how we develop our cultural matrix as well. And so I can give an example. Last year, we asked the girls for Christmas, oh, give me a list. What do you want? And so, of course, you give them a Target catalog and they circle 100 items in the Target (laughs) catalog. (laughs) But this year, we decided we're going to focus more on our experience. And so for the first First time we took both Marianne and Angelica to the Nutcracker, and so I wanted, yes, I wanted to cherish that time with them in a sense that 
teach them that it's not just all about the materialistic things, but it's more about what people remember is not the material things. They remember the experience, and they remember the journey. And we wanted them to have that. Whether or not we'd make it a tradition, I don't know, but that's what I mean about being generative is it's focusing more on the experience. So to have a generative environment, you look at the physical environment, the physical aspect of it, but design it in a way that is going to promote the social interactions. Oh, I just love that, to promote social interaction. I think that's so important because when you are going through this, don't you feel like you're the only one in the world this is happening to? Of course. And I even felt more alone when I was in ICU with Marianne and the doctor came in her first night after the Fontan and they said her heart is functioning at less than 40%. She is not doing well. I just really felt alone, but it was other heart moms that helped me through that and that I was able to send a text to or send a private Facebook message. I'll tell you, I was never a big advocate of Facebook. I did not like the social media. I didn't care for it. I thought to myself, how do people have time for this? And when I started to research what was going to happen with Marianne, I didn't know where to turn. Amanda Adams actually referred me to Texas Children's via email, but Amanda was on Facebook and she had a separate group that she was a part of to provide that support. But without that social media, I don't know what I would have done. I guess I could have looked up many different things or Google it, but it's not the same like going to someone that has been through it. I wish we would have had Facebook when Alex was going through what he did. I felt so very isolated. So I'm glad that you found Amanda Rose Adams and that you found other support online. That's really amazing. We do need to take another quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, listeners, because when we get back, we're going to talk to Jessica about the biggest lesson she learned while Marianne was in the hospital and how that applies to her life today. We'll be right back. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is Seizing the Day with Jessica Gutierrez-Rodriguez, and she has been the most amazing heart mom for me to talk to. Wow. She has totally changed my ideas about generative space. I learned that concept when I was preparing this show for Jessica because it was something I was unfamiliar with. And now she's been talking to us about what a generative environment means and how we can even have a generative environment in our everyday life that what we're really doing is promoting social interaction, which I totally love. I think that's an awesome idea. But I want to get back to being in the hospital because that seems like that was a pivotal point in your life, Jessica. And I want to know what the biggest lesson learned while you had Marianne in the hospital for such an extended period of time and what that lesson means to you today. 
Well, I definitely learned that you need to take advantage of the resources in the environment. So a place like Texas Children's Hospital almost reminds me of a Disneyland. It was important to utilize all the resources we had to help improve Marianne's outcome and her recovery time. As we know as heart moms, it's not easy when our children are recovering from open heart surgery, especially the second time around, the third time around as In Marianne's case, the Fontaine was the second time, and the surgeon had to cut through some thick scar tissue from the first open-heart surgery and then fix the Glenn shunt that was put in three years prior. So it was tough seeing her in so much pain the first couple of weeks and the struggle she had with fluid buildup, but over time she improved with the assistance of her family and the support we received at Texas Children's. Patient advocacy was also a big help when they were instrumental in helping us assign her cardiologist to our floor. And I would still say that some bigger lessons were learned during Marianne's three-month stay in the NICU as a preemie. For over 90 days, we must have met over 25 different nurses. We had our favorites and not-so-favorites, and because it was a completely new experience for me and my husband, we were afraid to speak up for Marianne's rights. We were afraid to upset the nurses because we were leaving her in their care. But now that I reflect on it, we probably should have spoken up on the issues and concerns we had. After all, how will staff know that they are doing wrong if it's not brought to their attention? And that's when I put myself in their shoes, of course, working in the healthcare field. I don't know if there's a problem if it's not brought to my attention. I do not regret, though, visiting her every single day so that she could feel our presence and love, and we prayed with her nightly, and even the NICU staff told us that they knew she was thriving because she could feel our love as compared to other babies who did not have visitors. Therefore, they tended Mm -hmm. to struggle more medically. So we try to create that comfortable environment for Marianne by surrounding her with the love she needed to keep on living. She was a survivor from the beginning and fought to stay alive and continues to have that fighting spirit in her. I'd love to see that. And I want to talk to you about the main reason I have this radio show, to empower my listeners, whoever they may be, survivors, parents, grandparents, cardiologists social workers, nurses. I have a wide variety of people who listen to the show, and the whole purpose is for us to empower our entire community. Can you tell us how we can make a difference in our environment so that we can have a quicker recovery and so we can have a healthier life? I'll stress the importance of the available resources. So you have to take advantage of all available resources at your healthcare facility and also make sure to give honest feedback. Healthcare administrators are always seeking ways to improve the patient experience, but can only work with the information they know. So I stress, share the good, share the bad, share the ugly. Empower yourself and your loved ones by speaking up and making things better. I know I've brought up patient advocacy a few times, but most people, when they go to a hospital, don't even know that it exists. I mean, you might see a posting on a bulletin board that says for any questions or problems, call this number. But patient advocacy is there to be called upon to make sure that the patient is getting the right treatment and they pass on the information to the right department. So it's also good to give feedback on the physical environment and how it can improve if you have new ideas. Most important, though, is 
educate yourself on the healthcare environment that you choose for your child. Through the encouragement and support of family, including my parents and my husband, we researched and researched till there was nowhere to turn. So I believe education is key and is so important when making heavy decisions. So to sum it up, I have three recommendations to empower our listeners. One, I strongly encourage patients and families to do their homework and research to make informed decisions. Number two, take advantage of all your resources. Number three, always give feedback so that hospitals have the opportunity to turn their weaknesses into strengths. I love that. That is so good. This is what it's all about is saving these lives. And I love the advice that you gave because the advice that you gave where you do your research and you take advantage of all the resources you have and give feedback to the hospitals, not only does that help you to seize the day with your children, but that is going to help the next generation of survivors to seize the day as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jessica. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed this. I love sharing our story and I love talking about our journey. And now I feel like I can help others. Everything happens for a reason and this is part of God's plan. And we as heart moms then become a blessing, not only us, but our children as well, to help encourage others that are going through the same thing. I agree with you 100%. I am the author of a couple of books and frequently when I'm asked to autograph a book, which still feels weird, folks, but <laughs> but it's delightful. <laughs> but when I do, I frequently will say, because it's usually to another heart mom or heart dad, that our children's hearts brought us together, but our hearts made us friends. Because to me that's what's happened. Talk about a social environment growing. My social contacts have grown tremendously because of Alex and his heart and how me sharing his story has helped give encouragement to others and how I've been able to listen to other people tell their stories. And now I have this radio show to share those stories with others. And we have a domino effect on how we can be angels to others and how others can be angels for us when we really need them. Exactly. Well, that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.